Take your Bibles and return there again to Genesis 26 this morning. Genesis 26. After months of studying the life of Abraham in Genesis 11 through Genesis 25, we are now learning of Abraham's son, Isaac. And although Isaac lived the longest of the big three Jewish patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the least is written about Isaac. No, we've been introduced to Isaac along the way, but Genesis 26 is the only chapter in the Bible that's devoted exclusively to Isaac. He's sandwiched between two men who were more prominent than, than him. One commentator explained that Isaac is the ordinary son of a great father, Abraham. And Isaac is the ordinary father of a great son, that being Jacob. However, what we will discover in Genesis 26 is that however ordinary Isaac was, he was very much like his father for, as if, for better or for worse, it's as if history is repeating itself in the life of Isaac. And I prepared a message this morning simply titled, titled, Like Father, Like Son. Let's pause briefly for prayer. God, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for the life that we have in him. And our desire is to become like him and that our lives are not about ourselves but for him. And God, now as we come to the Holy Scripture, we pray that your spirit would teach us, instruct us from the life of Isaac, that we might glean insight and understanding from what you've preserved for us here in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The record of Isaac's life in Genesis 26 begins with this, the direction of Isaac's walk. The direction of Isaac's walk. Genesis 26, verse number one, says there was famine in the land. Stop there. Famine is foreign to us. However, it was a real problem in the ancient world. Genesis 26, verse number one, there was the real problem of famine. And the reality is that life in this fallen world is full of real problems. Just because you're a man or a woman of faith, just because you're a child of God, just because you are a New Testament Christian doesn't exempt you from real problems in life. It may never be famine for you in your life. It may be sickness or disease. Your real problem may never be famine, but it may be injustice or betrayal or some hardship. Psalm 34 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus promised in this world you will have tribulation. In Genesis 26, verse number one, Isaac experienced a real problem. Look at verse one again. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Stop there. History is repeating itself. The same problem that Father Abraham had in his day is now recurring for Isaac in his day. The same trials that your parents and your grandparents had in their day are the very same trials that we experience in our day. There is nothing new under the sun. And even when the problems, the real problems of life are no fault of our own, it's important how we respond to those problems. Look at what Isaac did in verse number one. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, 
If that name and that place sounds familiar to you, we learned of King Abimelech and the city of Gerar back in Genesis 20 when Abraham journeyed through that place and lied about the identity of his wife Sarah for the second time. Abraham lied about the identity of his wife Sarah for the first time back in in Genesis chapter 12 when he was down in Egypt. But here now, Genesis 26 verse 1 tells us that when Isaac was faced with the very same real problem as father Abraham, he went the wrong way again. He went to the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, who lived in Gerar. What the text doesn't tell us is that Gerar is on the way to Egypt. So Isaac was en route to Egypt for famine relief just as Abraham did many years earlier before Isaac was born. And I believe that is why God appeared to Isaac in verse number two with letter B, a reasonable prohibition. A reasonable prohibition. Verse number two says, then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Okay. There is no confusion about God's will here in this matter. God's will was for Isaac to not go down to Egypt like your father Abraham did when faced with the same situation in Genesis 12. Verse number 10, the the Bible says, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. And of course, we know that trip turned out to be a disaster as for the first time Abraham lied about the identity of his wife, Sarah, and then Hagar joined the family as Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar later becoming the mother of Ishmael by, by Abraham. Isaac was well aware of that family history. And so God gives Isaac a reasonable prohibition, don't go to Egypt like your father did. Now, the Bible is replete with negative prohibitions and positive instructions for us in our daily lives. God has given us so much revelation that is black and white in his word. But 1 John 5 says that, that his commandments are not burdensome. They are not to prevent us from having a good time. They are to protect us from disaster. And oh, that we would walk in his word and walk in his ways and walk in his will. Oh, that our steps would be ordered by the Lord so that when we are faced with real problems in life, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths. Isaac is given explicit instructions. Don't go down to Egypt like Father Abraham did. But along with that reasonable prohibition, God also gave Isaac a recurring promise. A recurring promise. Look at verse three. Dwell in this land, that is the land I shall tell you at the end of verse two. Dwell in the land that I shall tell you, verse three, and I will be with you and bless you for you and your descendants. I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." So when God told Isaac to not go down to Egypt, God also assured Isaac of his promises, the very same promises that God made to Father Abraham. If you like to mark your Bible, 
you may want to underline or highlight these things. Let me point out for you the promises of God in verses three through five. There are six promises of God in verses three through five. Let me show them to you. In verse number three, God promised, I will be with you. That's his presence. I will be with you, promise number one. Also in verse three, God promised, I will bless you. That's prosperity. God's presence, I will be with you. God's prosperity, I will bless you. In verses three and four, God promised, I give all these lands. You see it there in verse three, also in verse four, I will give to your descendants all these lands. That's a place. There's his presence, his prosperity, a place. In verse three, I will perform the oath. That's a promise of performance. I will do it. In verse four, God promised, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. heaven. That's posterity, posterity. Also in verse four, God promised, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's a reference to to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's his person, his presence, prosperity, a place, performance, posterity, and his person. And folks, in our daily Christian walk, our steps are encouraged by the promises of God. And as we journey through this life and we face problems, real problems, big problems, impossible problems, we are tempted to take matters into our own hands, to alter course, to give up the race, but it is then that we must cling again and again to the promises of God. If there is anything that your pastors can do for you, it is this. It is to point you to the promises of God and tell you to walk by faith in them. The promises of God. Look at verse number six. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now that's a short statement of fact with really without any color commentary. Is verse six a positive statement or a negative statement? Did God, I'm sorry, did, did Isaac do what God told him to do? Well, Isaac didn't go down to Egypt, so that's good. But did Isaac, according to the end of verse number two, live in the land which I shall tell you? Now, there is dispute among Bible students whether God wanted Isaac to remain in Gerar or return to the promised land. I'm I'm going to suggest that verse number six is not an affirmation. Verse six is a condemnation, and perhaps you'll agree as we proceed. But for the moment, if I am right, if I am right that verse number six is not an affirmation, it's a condemnation, it means that, um, that Isaac did not fully obey God. And never assume that God will bless you fully if you obey partially. Don't assume that you can make wise decisions in life when your first decision is incomplete obedience to God. Young people are sometimes deceived into thinking that they can disobey mom and dad and go their own way because they're smart enough to handle life on their own. And so the foolish child or the adolescent is wise in his own eyes, convinced that he knows better than mom and dad, and so he goes his own way. Of course, the history of the world proves the consequences of that thinking, but it's not only children. It's not only adolescents. It's the rebellion of every human heart at every stage of life. We think we know better. 
And we think that we can manage our lives our own way apart from obeying or at least giving some partial obedience. Let's see what happened to Isaac beginning in verse number seven. So the men of the place in Gerar asked about his wife and he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when they had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, does this scenario sound familiar to anyone? Of course, this is now the third time in the book of Genesis that this has occurred. The first time with Abraham in Egypt, Genesis 12. The second time with Abraham in Egypt in Genesis 20. Like father, like son, now for the third time. And put yourself in Abimelech's shoes. What is with this Abraham and Isaac family? They marry beautiful wives and then claim they're their sisters. Who, who does that, right? And who does that over and over again? I, although I titled my message, Like Father, Like Son, I, I thought of title, titling it, Monkey See, Monkey Do. Because this is, this is the mindlessness of, of repeating of history. But let's drill down and consider the circumstances more closely. The deception regarding Isaac's wife. In verses six and seven, Isaac lied about his wife. Now it's possible that Isaac lied without thinking on impulse and sometimes we might do that. We might slip in the heat of the moment and let a little white lie leak out and then later admit that we weren't thinking. However, in the middle of verse seven, if you look there, in the middle of verse seven, we're told that Isaac was thinking, in fact. And again, at the end of verse nine, We know that Isaac was talking to himself and he's reasoning with himself about the implications of the whole matter. You see, I believe, letter A, the lie was prepared. This was a premeditated, intentional, intelligent lie. Isaac was leaning on his own understanding for survival in the face of famine while living in enemy land. And when you are leaning on your own understanding while living in the land of the enemy, you must become a prepper. Because survival is up to you. You have the real problem of famine and you're living behind enemy lines. And so Isaac had to resort to lies for his refuge. Folks, many times we get ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong reason and we know it, but then we compound the problem by trying to lie our way out of it. And it's amazing how our hearts can prepare a lie And the justification for that lie, of course, self-preservation, self-survival, rather than trusting the Lord to preserve us. The lie was prepared, the lie was presented. And evidently, according to verse number eight, some time had passed and Isaac became careless in covering his tracks. And so in showing affection to his wife, which is right and good and normal and healthy, Isaac betrayed himself, revealing the lie. And the Philistine king, Abimelech, who had been through this before, remember, uh, pounced on Isaac's lie. 
perhaps you've known someone over the years um, that has been such a fluent liar, maybe a pathological liar, that they have lost track of their own lies. They've had so many layers of lives, lies that they, they couldn't keep it going. They actually believed their own contradictions and they played the game well until eventually the truth came to be known. That was the case here. Fortunately, Abimelech was honorable in this case in verse 11 and he forbid anyone from, for, from taking advantage of Isaac's wife, Rebecca. Let's continue reading. The, the story turns more pleasant now, beginning in verse number 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until the, he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. This is number three, the degree of Isaac's wealth. Folks, just a quick thought here. God may bless you in some way in spite of yourself. God may bless you even though you've been disobedient. That's his common grace toward us, but it makes it hard to draw, draw a, a direct line of cause and effect between health and wealth and holiness. You see, even the wicked may prosper. So don't be deceived into thinking health and wealth equals holiness. God's common grace may allow even the wicked to prosper, but rather know that just when you think all is finally going well, my life has been spared, my wife's life has been spared, I am now wealthy, your prosperity may actually become a liability. Look at verse number 15. Now the Philistines... Well, at the end of verse 14, the Philistines envied him and the Philistines stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father and they had filled them with earth and Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So God blessed Isaac abundantly with crops and cattle multiplied and for this reason, some might argue that Isaac was actually in the right place. Maybe Gerar was where he was supposed to be the land that God intended him to be. But I would caution us again, God may use material success to teach us hard lessons. And God may use his goodness to bring us to repentance. In any case here now, the Philistines are envious. They feel threatened by Isaac's wealth. And so as those who oppose the Lord Yahweh, his program and his person and his people. The Philistines are filling Abraham's wells with dirt in an effort to drive Isaac out and away from them. Verse number 17. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. I call this number four, the digging of Isaac's wells. The digging of Isaac's wells and Isaac is working here hard to restore his father's legacy for to dig a well in that day was like planting a flag. It was like laying claim to a a piece of property. And water was and, and it is today a premium in that part of the world. So if you dug a well, you automatically became the proprietor of that land and you had the right to name that well. And anyone who could provide a means of irrigation in a place was recognized to have ownership of that land. So then to 
stop up a well or to fill it with dirt again was, was really an act of war against the owner of that place. Back in Genesis 21, the Philistines had entered into treaty agreements with Abraham about his rights to the land, but now Abraham's dead. So they're stopping up the wells. They were, in effect, tearing up their treaties with Abraham, and they're declaring war on Isaac over the land. It's amazing to me how the land has always been a point of conflict in tug of war over the centuries or literal war over the centuries. But at any any rate, Isaac redug those wells and he dug more wells. Look at verse number 19. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called the name of it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. I'm not sure how, how accurate this application is, but as I read an account like this, I, I think of the, the times in which I am mistreated or wronged. And at times when I've been taken advantage of, I, I quietly tell myself, Matt, dig another well right? Just dig another well. Move on. Don't fight. Just move on and dig another well. And I I don't know that that's the intent of this text, but I find it helpful to me. So if you ever hear me muttering under my breath, dig another well, um, you know that there's something between us. But uh, (laughs) Isaac is finally now able to dig a well that's uncontested and he's able to keep the peace. And, And Isaac returns to the place of where his father Abraham met with God. Verse 23 Then he went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you, multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug (laughs) another well. Now, I believe verses 23 to 25, what I just read are, are really the interpretive key to this entire account in Genesis 26. Up to this point, Isaac's life has been driven by his need for food and water. Food, remember the famine in the land? And water, remember the digging of the wells. The famine in the wells. But now, after finally digging a well that was uncontested in verse 22, we would have expected Isaac to remain there in verse 22. He could settle down. But in t- instead, we're told in verse 23 that he moved to Beersheba. So what took place in Isaac's thinking to have a move to Beersheba, verse 23. Beersheba was the place that Abraham had gone with Isaac after they came down from Mount Moriah after making sacrifice there. Remember, God provided a lamb in place of Isaac. This is Genesis twenty-two nineteen, And I believe that it dawned on Isaac that through all of the opposition of digging all of the wells, God was directing Isaac back to the land of promise. Back to the very places where Abraham had walked in fellowship with God. And I believe Isaac's decision here now is a right one because God immediately spoke words of assurance to him in verse 24. 
And again, if you mark your Bibles and you want to circle or highlight or underscore the promises of God in verse 24, God assured Isaac of his person. He said, I am with, I am the God of your father. That's his person. And God assured Isaac of his presence. I am with you, his presence. God assured Isaac of his promise. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. And so there in verse 25, as I read, Isaac built an altar and worshiped God at long last. And they dug a well, laying claim to that holy site, which was number five, the destination for Isaac's worship is back in Beersheba. And the historic irony of Beersheba, beyond what I just shared, is that Beersheba was the very same place where the Philistines had been forced to confess that that Abraham had something they didn't have. Abraham had Yahweh. Back in Genesis 21, 22, King Abimelech and King Abimelech's commander of his army, Thakol, said to Abraham in Genesis 21, 22, God is with you in all that you do. That happened in Beersheba. So now in verse 26, who should arrive to confront Isaac? Verse 26, then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen that Yahweh is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, let us make a covenant with you folks. History is repeating itself again. Like father, like son. The same Abimelech and Phicol from chapter 21, verse 22, are saying the very same thing now to Isaac as they did to Abraham. Verse 28, I just read. Let me pick up in verse 29. This is the the covenant that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed. You are the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank and they rose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Bear Sheba to this day. Number six, the display of Isaac's witness the display of Isaac's witness. Now there are two ways to look at this. Perhaps Isaac should not have made a treaty with those pagan people. Perhaps this was a scam. Perhaps Isaac got duped just like Joshua did when those men came saying they were from a a far country. Perhaps you remember that in Joshua 9. Or we could understand this as the fruit of Isaac's testimony and that the Philistines, King Abimelech, his commander, those in Gerar, were watching Isaac's life and they saw how God blessed Isaac. Verse 28 jumped off the page at me. Look at verse 28. We have certainly seen that the Lord Yahweh is with you. Folks, I would ask you if your friends and neighbors can say the same about you. Is your life Is your lifestyle a testimony to the power and the presence of God? If we were to write a one-chapter biography of your life, would it include a note that the people in your community knew that the Lord was with you? If they did know that the Lord was with you, 
how would they know that? By watching your walk? By listening to your talk? What is disappointing is that in that Isaac knew the Lord. And the Philistines knew that Isaac knew the Lord. But the Philistines had no interest in knowing the Lord themselves. Many times that's where our testimony falls short and our witness comes up short. Our neighbors and our coworkers know that, that God is with us, that we're Christians and on Sunday mornings they see us drive out of our driveway in our Sunday best, but, but that's all. Oh, that they would want what we have, to know the God of heaven like we do. They see the faith of our fathers, perhaps. They know the Lord is with us, but that's the end of the story. And so at best, we forge a pretense of peace. We'll stay here and you go over there. May that not be the case for us. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for the record of of Isaac's life. Lord, I pray that you would instruct us regarding it. Lord, may we not put ourselves in places of compromise. May our light shine brightly. May we claim the promises of God and cling to the faith of our fathers. For your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.